Yeah, here. We're fine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Get in the Garage. I'm your host, Mike, here with me, as always, is Luke and Jeff. Today, we are going to be changing gears in a, in, of sorts. Uh, and uh, We're going to ride the lightning. We're going to ride the lightning. We're going to give you the fuel. We're going to give you the fire. We're going to give you that which you desire. <laughs> it's going to be Metallica this week, which I was very excited of. About, rather, because, you know, Metallica, for me, was one of those bands that, like, when I really started getting into different types of music, um, Kill 'Em All was probably the big album when I listened to it that I heard kind of bass playing that I wasn't used to hearing uh, coming from Cliff Burton. So, you know, it's, I'll, I'll say this, this was, this for me, like, or at least I should say the way that I like Metallica is because there's a lot of like sentimental things that are kind of latched on with Metallica. You know what I mean? So, but either way, let's get into it. Real quick history. They were formed in 1981 in Los Angeles. James Hetfield's Lars Ulrich, but they ended up moving to San Francisco when they decided that they wanted to have Cliff Burton jump on board as being their bass player. Uh, and Dave Mustaine rounding off the original lineup. Uh, shortly before they record Kill 'Em All, Dave Mustaine is kind of like a really angry, raging, drunk guy. And they're like, well, we can't really have this. Even though Paul calling the kettle black, they're all alcoholics. So, like, really, let's be real here. But apparently Dave Mustaine was the one of the four that would get very violent and angry when drunk. So they basically just, like, give him the boot. Enters Kirk Hammett. And uh, then we have basically, you know, I guess what's considered the classic lineup. Fast forward. Shortly after the release of Master of Puppets in 1986, Cliff Burton, the bass player, dies in an unfortunate uh, bus accident uh, in Sweden. Uh, enters Jason Newstead as the replacement. Jason Newstead would go on to record And Justice for All, the Black album, and then after that, quitting. After Oh, I'm sorry, no. Uh, load, reload. And then he ends up quitting. Sorry, because I just hate those albums so much. It's just like, he, I, don't even, uh, I don't even think uh, about it. He them. also performs on the S&M album, so. No, he oh, also plays the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack theme song. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. Uh, so really, you know, and so, and then, okay, New said leave. They I have that soundtrack. Robert, they end up getting Robert Trujillo, so on and so forth. Um, the thing that we're really going to be focusing on is the first five albums, as this is, will be our uh, five faves style episode. So we're going to go... Kill Em All, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and Justice for All, and the Black Album. We will rate them in terms of our least favorite to our most favorite. Um, I'm really excited about this one, too, because I would say that of the three of us, I'm probably the, the, mo- the most Metallica fan. Jeff, probably more middle of the road, kind of moderate Metallica fan. And going into this, although I think that at, what we were speaking before the podcast, you, you know, Luke, you said I might be a little bit surprised as to what your opinions are. Going into it, though, I kind of expected that Luke probably would be the, the, the least, uh, you know, interested in Metallica or like the, you know, the least amount of fan dumb for the band anyway. So um, let's fuck it. Let's get into it. I, 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 I'm going to start it off uh, where 
if we were doing a list that was what we think are the five greatest Metallica albums of all time, this album might be number one. But in terms of my own personal taste, uh, because when it comes to Metallica, I'm more of a purist. My number five position album is going to have to be Metallica's self-titled album, Metallica, also known as The Black Album. It was a big shift for them sound-wise. They teamed up with producer Bob Rock, who had at that point produced the likes of like Bon Jovi. Um, I think a lot of Metallica fans at the time, I would know, I was like two years old when it came out. But uh, from what I understand in terms of just reading on the reception of the album, it basically seemed like it was kind of the band's betrayal of uh, or to their original fans but also expanded their sound in such a way to where uh, they were able to reach uh, sort of a new market and kind of almost kind of create sort of a like a pop metal album in that way. Because although they did lose some of the hardcore fans from the early days, they gained global success and to a certain degree brought heavy metal really to the masses, you know, on, on kind of like a uh, like a pop music sort of stage as uh, as heavy music so uh it's super effective there's some great tracks on it i mean obviously nothing else matters you know the unforgiven enter sandman sad but true there's a lot of there's a lot of good tracks on it it's just like of the five my personal least favorite um know? yeah i i could see how like you that's probably like uh you know the opinion of like a lot of diehard metallica fans um you know for me I uh I mean I enjoy the hooks and choruses like um you know they were gonna slow down I mean that was I guess like the next progression is you're playing fast so like a switch up would be to slow down um, but I like the melodicness of it and I still like how they put their guitar solos in there almost at the same kind of uh, they're not like unchanged at all it's just like they're in normal time instead of like double time <laughs> you know what I mean yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so I mean that, that's I mean I just enjoy that that uh, aspect of it but no i like it but uh what you're you're probably alluding to is what most metallica fans feel is uh they cut their hair and became a little bit lamer and slower and not as punch you in the face kind of thing. yeah you kind of lose yeah there's there's just that that sort of edge that metallica had that i think they kind of lost i mean i'm not this is a no means to shit on the album because i don't hate this album i mean putting it on this week and listening to it, it really brought me back to a specific time and place. You know what I mean? Like I remember getting that, that album on CD with my Walkman, you know, for uh, what, what my 11th or 12th birthday, you know? And uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I love the album. It's just for me personally, you know what I mean? It's just in comparison to the other four, it's probably the one that I listen to the least, you know? All right. No, I hear yeah. You. I, I wait, <clears throat> give me a second. All right. <clears throat> I haven't warmed up the voice yet today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't, haven't, haven't spoke to anybody. Yeah, yet. yeah. Okay. <clears throat> All right, I'm ready. My lifestyle. Oh, I'm ready. Determined. Um, yeah, totally agreed with your points. The biggest album of theirs. It's uh, you know a colossus. Poor timing on Metallica's part, really, or you know on the world's part. This album came out and. And then in the next two months, Pearl Jam's 10 and Nirvana's Nevermind came and basically killed metal music. Um, but still, yeah, their they're most successful album. But uh, I agree with your points where as a purist or as more of a fan of their faster, earlier stuff, 
I really just don't enjoy how everything's kind of just slowed down and beefed up. And it kind of like, in my opinion, spawned like two decades of imitator bands of this style specifically that I detest. And not that, you know, listen to what you want to listen to, but I would never listen to any band that was like, oh, our favorite album ever was the Black Album by Metallica. So is this your number five as well? Uh, complete agreement. This is also my number five. Oh, guys. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, man. That's not my number five pick. Okay. Well, what's your, what, then what is your number five? Because uh, we kind of talked about the Black Album. In- so. Injustice for All is definitely hardcore, my number five pick. Um, yeah. I feel like the songs are well written, and I feel like the progression of the band up to that point would have been like that. But I, I feel like, uh, obviously, we're going to get to the, there's no, for there's like no low end on that record. Even when they remastered it, they decided that they were like, ah, well, you know, I'd rather have two versions of it uh, with a bass and a low end. I did listen to uh, on YouTube the uh, Injustice for Jason mix uh, Mm -hmm. where they put the bass back into it. It does sound fuller. It's more effective. Um, It's a shame, too, because I think like Lars's drumming on this is like the most creative. There's like a lot of great double bass that's innovative for the time and of the structure of music that they were building. But um, mm-hmm. for me, just just the no low end on it is just like it creates that like really high end only guitar noise that's like already distorted. So everything's just like nah, 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 before the solo comes in anyway. Um, yeah. And then for me, that's why I don't really like it that much. Also, when they try to do like the groove oriented underlines like on that where the rhythm guitar is playing like a dum 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 dum, it just becomes like so like. Oh, it's so it's so much. harsh. Yeah, so it's so harsh. harsh on the high end of the guitars, and that's really just a personal preference. Um, as I said though, I don't think like this. The, none of the songs were like anything on there. Like I listened to wasn't. I was like, this is a really a bad song. Just was not my jive, and the mix is bad. I feel, yeah. and that is like I'm probably going to be my um biggest thing today is like mixes and the way these records sound. So the um, best. I, <laughs> There's a great video with the guy who mixed this album on YouTube. It's like a five minute video. And he talks about how Lars told him to make the drums sound. And he was like, all right, I guess I can make it sound like that. And then Lars left and he spent like the weekend working on a different mix and then presented it to the band. And like 10 seconds in, Lars said, stop the tape. And he said, what happened to the drum sound? And the mixer turned to Lars. And he said, he said, I thought you were joking. <laughs> Yeah, that's also how I like how I felt when I was like going through like uh like you know researching a lot of these records. I was like, it almost seemed like they had a great idea when it came to what they were doing musically, but as soon as they got in the studio, they would like something bad would happen, or they would second guess themselves on like recording stuff. Um, and I feel like it. Like I, I was just like, why are they constantly getting plagued with bad recording stuff? Like. You when you like hear with like you know Slayer got to work with Rick Rubin and that's like you know a great experience because he like really knew what the band was all about but it seemed like Metallica just couldn't get it together like yeah, producer wise. It's strange though because this album was produced by Fleming Rasmussen who also produced the two albums before it. So you would have thought like it would have ended up similarly sounding, but it's such a departure, and that's because he just wasn't involved in the mix at all. Yeah. And and the band by this point, you know, Master of Puppets, the album before it, 
had gone gold as their biggest selling album. So I think for this album, they exerted a lot of their own creative control over things. And they just wanted it to have this stark, harsh sound. And it's like, it's like an album for the cassette player generation. And it sounds like the masters were made on cassette tapes. That's a great point because not for nothing, but like I listened to this album mostly on earbuds. And to say that this album was an assault on the ears (laughs) is an understatement. Because especially when they're palm muting, you get that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, and and you get that like weird woofy thing that happens after it. And it's like, but in contrast, I'll say this. uh, uh, My dad used to own a old Ford Ranger that had a cassette in it. And the the, the, the Ranger came with a copy of Injustice for All on cassette. And let me just tell you, that album sounds great on cassette. It really genuinely does sound really good on cassette. And I agree. Because it's, yeah. it's warmer on a cassette. It's it had cassette adds this like lo-fi quality to the like very high end distortion. It rounds right, it out. Right. So yeah. Maybe and that this was on a, purpose. I don't know. But this is a great segue because Luke, I'll say going into my f- number four, and Justice for All is probably my number four as well. I think it's a real oh, shame whoa, whoa. that the, the we I gotta call my therapist in. All right, guys. This is not a good this is not going in a good direction. All right. We got to get my therapist in here. We got to talk this stuff out. You guys are just. Come on, guys. Let's just go in city. there and hammer this out. You guys, just don't have any respect for this podcast. <laughs> right, different opinions. We got to get things out on the table. We're not going We're... to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame unless Rob gets in, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good Lord. Um, yeah, so what's a shame to me with Injustice for All, really, is the fact that I kind of feel like if the production quality was up to par and you had more bass and stuff like that, I think this album would have been right up there with some of like the great like progressive metal albums maybe of all time because you have like these multi-movement kind of thing. I mean, even the song injustice for all, you know, there's, there's a lot of peaks and valleys in the music. They go in a lot of different places. They have like concept type songs. They have, you know, it's, it's one of those albums that I think just, just falls just short. And it's really all because of that production quality, man. And I, and I think too, like Jeff was saying earlier, coming hot off the heels of master of puppets, they're so successful and then, you know, egos come into play. And anybody who knows anything about Metallica knows that really Lars Ulrich is kind of the driving force behind the band. I mean, <laughs> James <laughs> Throne. <laughs> just, yeah, I didn't say he was a good driver. I just said he was the driving force behind the band. You know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, in, in terms of kind of like marketing and production and all that stuff. James Hetfield was more so the songwriter guy. You know, he wrote the lyrics. He did most of the riffing and stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, I mean, these two really are like the soul of the band. But I think Lars's issue was the fact that he always had like a quote unquote vision and his vision always overrode anybody else's opinion. Do you like I, I, I think I kind of agree with that. But do you also maybe agree that like this album doesn't come off as well as the other ones because like of the um like the overt political nature of like the album title and maybe some of the cuts on it whereas before i think it's yeah i think it's possible where it comes off like it's little not like oh it's not like super preachy but at the same time like i i really like the feel of like wh- like whiplash and like i was going fast on the skateboard and like 
you know, like Cthulhu and like riding the lightning and like the more esoteric, like Lord of the Ringsy monsters and beasts, driving fast cars kind of vibe of like of the first two records or mostly the first three even, even like the, um, you know, like Master of Puppets being like a more of a political song even, but like where it builds to this one, I feel like the um, content for me kind of like gets a little too serious, like out in front of the music where I like enjoyed the monstery effect of it too. So I don't know. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. You know, I mean, I will strongly disagree with that. Oh, all right. Well, Jeff, leave the monsters to fucking Led Zeppelin. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. What then? Well, Jeff, then what, what is, what is your, what is your number four then? All right. So, Black Album was number five just because it's basically like compared to, out of all five, it's the one that has the most like slowed down stuff. So for me, it's just like not the Metallica I like. My number four, upon more and more listens, I thought it would move up, but uh, there's some reasons why it didn't. And number four, although I do like it a lot more after listening this week, is their first album, Kill Em All. Oh, all right. All so right. things I like about this album, it's the this and the black album the guitars sound the most like guitars instead of like a wall of guitars it sounds like there's two guitars on this on each track instead of like 17 overdubs so i do enjoy that and that gives separation to the bass and the bass is very clear on this album i have a love-hate relationship with the vocals on this album because i love how they're really barky and not really trying to sing sing but it does have that very dated like uh tape echo on the vocals so the album after this they they would change how the vocals sounded but this has like a very dated vocal sound um and also just a reason why this didn't move up for me is because for me it sounds like a band who's only been playing together for three months because that's really that's what it was so mm-hmm. the like I, the songwriting half of the songs were co-written by dave mustaine so I'm kind of knocking it down a peg because of that, because in a way it's like a mega Talica band, you know, album. And <laughs> I I probably would have enjoyed this album more if Dave Mustaine was playing and singing on it. Um, but you know, so we're splitting hairs here. But this is my number four, Kill 'Em All. Uh, some other things I love, you know, of course I love the anesthesia pulling teeth bass solo of Cliff Burton, like when he hits the first wah like 35 seconds in it was like what the fuck is happening right oh, now? oh yeah because it's straight up just like wow yeah, like it does do, that do, thing do, do, wow do, like whoa yeah whoa. um so good stuff about this album but it just very much for me sounds like a debut album it has some kind of just shoddiness and sloppiness and some of the uh linking up of all the parts and it just doesn't sound like a band who really is hit their stride yet Good debut album, great opener. It starts with like the fade in of the crash symbols with the big clanging chords. So good stuff on this album, but you know it's a Dave Mustaine Metallica album and he's not playing on it. So I'm taking yeah. it down a peg, kind of just for that. Right on. Well, Luke, what about you? What's your number four? My then? number four would be uh, Ride the Lightning. Mm. Um, Interesting. Uh, I, for me, the thing I hated, absolutely hated about this record and could not get over was the drum sound. Not that the drums were re- really even that bad. 
it was just that like super 80s metal drum sound that sounded like super dated even at that when that record came out that sounded dated i think the drum sound of that record it sounds best in like 1978 79 but like um for me it's just kind of like retreading of the first album still um i thought like the themes i like the themes in the first album a little bit better um the title cut on this one was cool um obviously some introduction to acoustic guitar but um for me it's just that overarching um reverb um that seems to just be like ever present on this whole album and like a whole nother instrument and um again it's super great and like makes me want to drive a camaro really fast down the road um and skateboard and do risky things at high speeds but um yeah, like it's not like I didn't like it. It's just um, you know, the production style for me is like a bit dated. But um I was wondering yeah. if you guys thought that as well. Uh yeah, I think so. I mean this this is gonna fall into getting into the next round. This is gonna fall as my number three anyway. And so, my, you know, mine as well. Okay, perfect. So yeah, so let's get into it then. Um I mean I there you you like you know, there are these iconic cuts like for whom the bell tolls where you have this Cliff Burton intro the you know, but even still, there there's kind of for me a blatant Black Sabbath ripoff uh, in Kirk Hammett's lead in the beginning, like because Tony Iommi does that at the end of I think War Pigs, you know, and it's just in a different sort of in a different key, kind of. But other than that, it's basically or no, I think it's in the same. It's all on E. Anyway. That always makes me think of Slayer's uh, Rain and Blood, right? The intro to that, just like a different. Yeah, right, right, know. yeah. So you. So you get a little bit of that. I mean, the song "Creeping Death" is is fun. You know, like there's there's some great cuts on it, but I would agree with you too. And kind of the overall theme, I think, of the this this episode really just being kind of like you know, there's a lot of areas where the production just kind of falls short and or just sounds very time and place, very dated in that way. And I'll agree 100 percent with you, Luke. Like it's just kind of like. That's one thing that that I have a hard time with with kind of that like sort of you know mid early-ish 80s kind of metal drums recording especially like the super super echoey it's not it's not nice in the in the when the levee breaks john bonham sort of the ceilings feel like they're 10 feet tall it's it's it sounds kind of like it's a manufactured echo that doesn't sound like it's like a genuine sort of reverb because of a big room kind of thing you know what i mean yeah it's like an ocean compared to like a uh, aquarium fish tank right yeah this this album seriously sounds like it was recorded underwater it's so murky it's so much reverb it's it's too much reverb yeah it's like everything has reverb on it it's just it's weird yeah, when, yeah. When, especially because this is like the first album. They're galloping. They're they're cranking on these tempos. So when you have going on with the drums and but there's ten pounds of reverb on it, it just sounds like like there's no clarity. Yeah, especially on the first track, "Fight Fire with Fire," where they kick into the chorus and "Fight Fire with Fire," like, and it's like you can just tell like Lars. You know, we we're, we're trying to stay positive on this episode and not just completely shit on Lars Ulrich as a drummer. But I mean, you know, like you, I mean, there's a difference between shitting on somebody and just stating fact. And I think just stating fact is basically like, you know, his drumming is always just kind of like, ju- it just lags a little bit. Like you, it just sounds like he's just having a hard time keeping up. You let's know? let's um, also note too. Let's also note too that if we're talking double bass for the time. You're gonna every band that you listen to now that has double bass is triggered and fixed drums, so they're not 
on they're not playing as 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 what you hear what you're hearing is triggers on the drum so you could hit it very lightly and it's going to sound the same every time and drummers learn how to play right. like that now but back in the day Lars is literally creating this drum style I would say on the fly through these records uh, along with the other like big four thrash bands that are using double bass like anthrax and so have you so he's creating the sound so I would say at this point too that like that is also where I'm more forgiving of the records at this time because the double bass sound just like really wasn't super there for like what they were trying to do yet I don't think it was like fully creative it was like an embryonic kind of state does that make sense Mm. yeah yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I, agree. I like the, uh, I do like the opening "Flight Fire with Fire" because I just think about, you know, the 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 stereotypical metal fan is so devoted to what they love and they hate everything that is anything. When when people are like, "Oh, that band sounds like this," and they're like, "Fuck you, it doesn't." It's like, "Oh my god, take it easy, man." But I love how this album opens with like a fucking classical guitar. Like I always think it's going to bust into roundabout by yes. It's, and I just think of like angry 18 year olds hearing it for the first time. Be like, what the fuck is this? And it just makes yeah. me so happy to think about that. Yeah. I mean, even like a song like fade to black where you're kind of like, Oh, here's Metallica playing a ballad on their second album. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, the outrage that maybe the Black Album would create later on, it's kind of like, yeah, but these guys have already played ballads before on their second album. You know what I mean? It's like, it's I thought this was their most, um, like, their Deep Purple Rainbow-influenced record because you have, like, the, uh, what is that, the Cthulhu song, um, Fight Fire with Fire is, you know what I mean, like, Burn, uh, Deep Purple. Um, Lyrically, I thought that that this was what it was mostly vibing with. Also, maybe, like, some of the... um, classical doe influences you know what i mean so that's right that's I, what I was mostly getting off of this record i like I yeah and a track that. a track like call of cthulhu i think is where you really kind of see cliff burton's influence really starting to shine through in this band as a songwriter and as kind of like a musical influencer on the rest of the members um i think a lot of the guys were Mo- the majority influenced by you know bands of like the new wave of british heavy metal so your judas priests your iron maidens and stuff like that um of course the classics like deep purple like you were talking luke deep purple rainbow dio and so well on. i thought it was interesting um, how like kill em all is more misfits influenced hardcore punk influence right. whereas the second album kind of flips on you a little bit more and then goes way harder in the new wave of uh, british heavy metal vibe yeah i mean I, I would definitely say with the exception of ride the lightning and master of puppets those two albums maybe sound a little bit similar i'd say every album pretty much independently stands on its own as kind of its own separate sound and vibe and all that stuff but i mean call of cthulhu you know that that's that's a heavy cliff burton influenced track and that's showing that not only did cliff burton enjoy those bands as well as like the motorheads and the misfits and you know kind of like the hardcore and the punk but cliff burton i think of the four was probably the only one that probably seriously sat down and, and and listened to like classical music and stuff. So you see a bit of that classical music element kind of starting to peek its way in, even with the intro, like we were talking the, the, the song with the, with the guitars. I mean, they're kind of clangy and, and the, the sound of the guitars is very much of the time, but sort of like the intro to battery, you're getting again, sort of this world music, I guess, kind of influence or classical music sort of influence uh, on this album. Yeah, I think I think it's effective. I mean, I, great songs I, on this I, album. Uh, yeah. Trapped under ice, escape, creeping death. Like the B side of this album might be their strongest B side of any of their any of these five albums. Yeah. And for whom the bell tolls, 
that should be what Matt, what uh, what's the now I lay myself to sleep. What's the fuck that? Oh, uh, uh, Enter Sandman. Right. Enter Sandman. For whom the bell tolls should have been what Enter Sandman is. Because for whom the bell tolls is a rocking song. That is a powerful song. Yeah. Even the dum 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 dum. And the space after the lines with the echo when he's like da da da, and you can hear it echoing. Like that stuff's cool. Yeah. So why don't we do this? Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back. And we'll uh, we'll hit our hit last Luke's two, right? three. Was... Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, Luke. I hit my three. I'm sorry, man. Hit us with your three, and then. We'll All right. The well, break. my third uh, is gonna be <laughs> um, Master of Puppets, which I lo- think a lot of people probably maybe claim that's their best record, but um, that's my number three. Um, I think it is like obviously kind of middle of the road for the album that we're doing uh, in this countdown, and um, like uh, that the way it came out, and for me, it just kind of hit that way. Um, Obviously, I mean, this is probably the uh, Metallica album I first listened to, I would say. Um, my guitar teacher gave me a burnt CD of it. Um, and I'm going to be straight with you. I would probably only listen to the title track, Master of Puppets, when I was, like, in high school. Um, I, uh, But even, like, listening back, like, I liked it. But, like, the lyrical themes for me weren't popping up as much as, like, the first and the second album where it was, like, I could, like, I really liked those and uh thought they were like cool and in- more interesting so that's probably why um production wise i think this is their best record though production wise so if i also want to note that because i've been talking smack in production this one was probably their best for me the guitar sounded pretty good um obviously like a lot of overlaying like jeff said but that was kind of like the their style so i really like this one i feel like it effectively if somebody was to ask me like what they sound like as a band like on a whole this is what I feel like I would give somebody yeah. to represent this record. Yeah, prop. Yeah, I would say so. In terms of the early Metallica sound, I'd say this is the best entry level album. Uh, I think Metallica as a whole, probably the Black album, is the best entry level album. But also, yeah, artwork of- for me on this one is probably like you know what I mean. Is like so striking with all the cro- uh, the crosses looking like Arlington National Cemetery and the and the, yeah, pup- and the, yeah, and the puppet. Yeah, you know. so for like me when like you're a kid. And I think Metallica, you know, like I think Iron Maiden, I think Eddie on the first album cover, like The Trooper or Number of the Beast. I, uh, yeah, that's right. I'm wearing that shirt right now. That's what I'm talking about. It. But um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like for Metallica, like I think of this, this is like one of the classic album covers. And like I think like in people's heads of like classic rock, this is even like on with like the Pink Floyd, um, you know, triangle and all that good stuff. So I also yeah. wanted to shout that out. I think it's a great cover. <laughs> Yeah, nice. All right, cool. Well, let's um, let I we're gonna be expanding on Master of Puppets again anyway. So uh, let's take a quick break. Quick commercial um, break. A quick commercial break. Even though we don't have ads yet, ads to come soon though. But most of us, i.e., comedians, treat open mics as a necessary evil. But not Silas P. Every week, Silas talks to a veteran of the sights, sounds, and smells of the Philly open mic scene, sharing stories of momentary triumph and lingering failure with enough shit talk sprinkled in to make you listen to hear your name. I'm like 35% sure that I'm in there. So pay attention, hang out in the room, and maybe you'll learn why you got bumped on the launching pod. Welcome back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Let me do some vocal warm ups. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, 
Guys, uh, in this episode, I wanted to put a PSA in there. Downloading music uh, is illegal if you don't pay for it, everybody. So just remember. You're, real, you're hurting the musicians. Yeah, you're hurting the musicians. They'll try to do a live stream Twitch and they'll get muted halfway through. <laughs> oh, <laughs> fucking idiots. About that, Luke? No. Metallica was doing like a live stream Twitch. <laughs> and then and because, of co- and because of copyright, copyright laws, software. they shut it down. <laughs> The algorithm caught them. Dude, talk about some kind of monster. <laughs> <laughs> what have I created? It comes around full circle. Congratulations, Lars. You played yourself. Uh, Dave Mustaine's around the corner. Hello, me. Yeah. <laughs> He's the real me. He's just yeah. report. He's clicking report, 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 report. The whole time. Uh, His wife, Dave Mustaine's wife, like, come to bed, honey. <laughs> 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 oh my god. Just like the Pied Piper. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to this wonderful episode of our top five favorite Metallica albums. Oh, oh yes. Well, leading into my in, into the next round, which is my number two, which I think Luke and I also uh well I should say Luke's number three, Master of Puppets. On to number two to continue talking about Master of Puppets, Master of Puppets being my number two album. Uh, this was a really tough one between one and two for me because I I love I love 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 Master of Puppets. I mean, when it when it when I was an early impressionable uh, guitar player, uh, learning you know le- learning the ropes and stuff for me, it was like, can you can you play the song Master of Puppets down picking the entire time? You know, because that's the whole. I think when it comes to the Metallica sound, that's kind of the thing that's one of the big defining characteristics of the band, right? Which is all downstrokes, nothing up. You don't pick up at all. It's all just all down. And it was like the ultimate endurance test was like, can you play a Metallica song and still do all downstrokes, you know? And I mean, I still, I, I, I mean, I, I never played this kind of music on guitar anymore, you know, but every, for every once in a while for shits and giggles, I'll try to like play master of puppets and the, like that is, that's that's really tough to do all down picking, man. Like it's not it, it's not a small feat. So, um, you know, as an album, like you said, Jeff, uh, you know, it's, it was their first gold album. It's the first album that kind of like started launching them or I should say rather solidifying their position as not only like maybe creators of thrash metal, but probably one of the greatest bands to do it to date at that time. Um, I mean, there's a lot of great tracks on it. You know, obviously, battery like coming in with the acoustic guitar, sort of the sort of uh, uh, mariachi, Spanishy kind of influence thing going on, and then going into just that really weird time riff. It it it, it, it kind of throws you for a loop a little bit. You know what I mean? You're kind of like, wait a minute, how, what? Wait, what the fuck's happening here? Because it almost sounds like the don't belong with what the guitars are doing, but it somehow does match up and it kind of lines up and, and, and it just creates for a real interesting uh, sort of tune and then into master of puppets and then into the thing that should not be. And then rounding outside one with welcome home sanitarium, which is another, you know, kind of a, you know, it's six minutes and 27 seconds long. It's, it's a long song. It's not as long as master of puppets, but um, you know, I think that's, I mean, as, as a side one for an album it is incredible, you know, and then side two disposable heroes, Leper Messiah, Orion, which is where you get, again, similarly with Call of Cthulhu on Ride the Lightning, another cliff, heavy Cliff Burton influence instrumental track. 
uh, when you get some cool you get some cool bass lines in that and then rounding it off with damage incorporated you know as a whole this is I, yeah, damage incorporated damage incorporated is one of the best it's it's one it's 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 one of the best if not like the best uh arguably the best metallic album you know so if we're talking uh musicianship as well here um should also be noted i know i'm talking a lot about the double bass but um the, probably the first like double bass i consciously ever heard is master of puppets um uh or yeah, I mean, you know what I mean. So the like the the double bass work on that record would have been like the first I'd ever heard, and I mean, for me, it was, you know, and I think like a lot of of people, it, it became like something that was just like you know you needed to get one and try it on your drum set afterwards after you heard yeah like, what was going on and all that stuff. So and this is at the point too where Lars isn't running like a single kick drum with a double bass pedal; he's running two. Right, bass right. drums too, which aesthetically I just I love it. You know what I mean? I mean I'm in terms of my taste for drummers and stuff. I can always kind of tip my hat a little bit more to the minimalist drummers. I like I'm when it comes to my taste in drumming. I love meat potatoes drumming. I love kind of bare bone setup. But there is something pretty striking about like those '80s drum sets with the huge, super deep toms, and there's like eight of them spanning across the kit with all these symbols and everything. Like it's a pretty sight to behold, you know. So. I, I always kind of thought, too, he kind of came off, like, Lars kind of comes off as a, um, like, Fast Eddie from Motorhead kind of style, too. Yeah, okay, um, yeah. You know what I mean? With that kind of whole thing going on. But, um, you know, even, like, drum fills and stuff, like, I, stylistically, I always felt like that was kind of, you know. But I feel like on this record, it's very high watermark. And especially, I like the drum sound on this record more than the rest of them we're talking about. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's great moments on this record. I, something I really enjoyed that I had never really dug before. Cause the, the long instrumentals, when I was, you know, 19, I would kind of just skip those or I'd listen to the first minute and be like, all right, I get the point. But uh, I like halfway through Orion when it goes to that slowed down part and the twin guitars are doing these bends together. Like that's a really cool moment on this album. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right, cool. So, there's my number two, Jeffrey, moving on to you for your number two. Let's hit it. So my number two is the first Metallica album I ever heard. And I thought it would move down just because of the sound, but it did not. It stayed tight at number two. And that is And Justice For All. Um, things I love about this album. I love the songwriting on this album. It's extremely complex and dense and very much progressive metal style, like we mentioned earlier. I like the drumming on this album the most out of all five of these albums however i will you know i'll concede the sound of the drumming is not ideal because the kick drum sounds like it's hitting against rubber floor mats or something oh but, yeah like i i was noticing that too definitely oh it's such a heavy like it's just it's just there's no space there's no reverberation of the drum itself um and same thing on the vocals on this it's not it's not uh, embarrassingly dry like St. Anger sounds like, but these are very dry vocals and they're very upfront and I enjoy that. And I like the themes. I like the political themes and anti-war themes of this album a lot. Uh, yeah, I just think overall, because of the songs and the complexity, I just, this couldn't move down in my rankings because I just have so much respect for this album. It's just... 
like it's a monster to put out three thrash metal classics and then lose a integral member of the band and then somehow make this album. It's like such a testament to what this band actually was, which was a very tight unit of songwriters and performers. And I personally think that they've been a joke for the last 30 years and that they're like a terrible karaoke (laughs) band and I wouldn't pay $10 to go see them. But when I listen to this album, it always reminds me like these dudes used to, these dudes once were like maybe the most feared band in all of the world because they were just like, if you listen to one, Mike talked about downstroking and it's like septuplet strokes and stuff. It's craziness. And there's so many good songs on this album, blackened justice for all one harvester of sorrow, freight ends of Sandy dyer's Eve. Those are some of my favorites. Um, This album also does, of course, it's not like I'm a serious Metallica fan and I'm like, this is the best album of all time. It's my number two. There are some moments that just kind of make me laugh because I went down the rabbit hole looking up YouTube videos and there's things where it's like dissecting Lars's drum pattern on this section. Because there's moments, there's a moment on one and there's a moment on Blackened where he does a fill into a section and then he's playing on the wrong side of the two and four on the snare. And you have all these drum instructors being like, isn't that crazy? He like creates this like, alternate reality for 10 seconds there and i just watched the video and over and over and i'm just like this dude just fucked up a fill and then just didn't have any idea where he was and then they listen back to it and they're like well it sounds cool even though it's wrong like i assume that's what actually happened yeah I, I i do think so. i do like those moments because i hear those moments and i'm like whoa and like i have to like headbang in the wrong direction and i'm just like oh my god what the fuck is going on yeah like no pun intended but it's like a bit of like whiplash like coming out <laughs> yeah. of, it, it like they'll be coming out of like a really fast solo back into like a pop music fast part <laughs> right. yeah i know exactly what you're and yeah. then the, and there's like da 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 you're like no it should be da 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 because I was like reading while I was listening to a lot of these, and then I'd be like, "Wait, what just happened? Like, did the song just change?" Because like you're kind of listening to it, like and you're like, "Whoa, what?" But, yeah, I no, definitely I, uh... think there were mistakes because that because that quote unquote alternate reality timing it only lasts for like eight seconds, and then the next fill he goes back into the regular thing. So I think it was just a happy accident in the studio. Yeah, like and there's a ton of ton of defenders online, you know, on the forums. They're like. Have re- have respect for the Lars. This is a masterpiece album. They definitely wrote all this stuff out. It's like, oh my eh, god! I don't well, know. that this is like a I can completely bring this example to something that like is completely different. Like we we're talking about the Stevie Wonder records, um, in his yep. classic albums of um, uh, songs in the key of life, he's playing uh, the harmonica solo to "Isn't She Lovely" and goes right here. I buried this really bad note in the mix with the um the overdub of "My Daughter in the Bathtub." And he goes, listen, how off it is. And he turns it up and you're like, oh my God, that's horrible. (laughs) And he's like, yep, but I did the rest of it great. So I just buried that down and then it's, you know, that jumps right back up. Yeah, you wouldn't know, so that kind of stuff yeah, it happens. Yeah, but I, but but like to speak to Stevie Wonder, at the very least, he has a certain sense of humility. Where I think Lars Ulrich, maybe if he was like you know confronted in sort of an interview setting, where they'd be like, hey, we noticed that you kind of did this thing with the drums, he would not fess up and be like, oh yeah, I kind of messed it up, but it sounded cool, so it's kind of a happy accident. He'd be like, yeah, that's right. I uh, you know yeah, I blew your mind because uh, he'd yeah. cut him off mid sentence. He'd be like, oh, I wrote it that way. Oh, God, he's been to a lot of therapy. <laughs> uh, not enough. <laughs> but So this album, like, if, if And Justice For All didn't have that, like, 
crazy high end distortion and just no bass sound, it might it would be my number one. But on listening to all these this week, I could I could listen to this one the least because I'm just not into metal music in general. It's just not really what I want to be processing sonically if we want to get scientific about it. It just doesn't put me in a good headspace. Yeah. And listening to this album, it is almost unbearable at times because it is so <laughs> crunchy. It's so there's so much white noise in everything. Oh, especially um, when they go fast too. Yeah, it's just yeah. No, I hear you. And like I said earlier, it's just it, it. If if not played via the correct format, or at the very least, like with not like like certain types, certain styles, sonic qualities of uh, headphones, it's just like I said, it's like even in my car, man. I was listening to it. I was like, oh, I had to like, I really had to genuinely be like, I need to turn this down. This is just too much. Oh, it's like an overload, you know. But I mean. I think it's a great album if you have a hi-fi system like you guys have and you have EQs and you can pull things down on the on the 1K you, and stuff like that. Well, it might sound better. Well, when mids are jacked as high as they are and that doesn't matter how much you put them in. You, you, when they don't I'm exist. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah. When it's all treble and bass and no mids, it's kind of hard to boost mids if they don't exist in the it's original like, what's, mix. A, what's a thousand times zero? Yeah. It's still zero. <laughs> exactly. I mean, this album too... You know, it, it, it came with a share of controversy and the fact that, you know, the Grammys cre- basically created the category of best hard rock, metal performance, vocal, or instrument category, kind of because they were like, yeah, I mean, everybody thought Metallica's the shoe in for this, you know what I mean? Because it's also like, you know, hard rock, metal performance, and they're like, oh yeah, Metallica's totally going to get this. And uh, if you watch back, you can see a very shocked Alice Cooper reading the name Jethro Tull as being the band <laughs> that wins this this prestigious award. And it's like, I mean, I, I remember watching, you know, it's like the one VH1 had like those top 50 most shocking right. moments in metal history or hard rock history or whatever. It cuts to a thing of like Chris Jericho of all people. And he's like, Jethro fucking Tull? Like Jethro Tull wins the award over Metallica? Like what? Ian Anderson skips up to the stage and he's like followed by a trail of rats because he's like the fucking Pied Piper. <laughs> It is like little unitard. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, man, very, very strange. I mean, okay, Jethro Tull. If you want to look at like the history of heavy metal, I guess you could. I don't want to spend five more seconds talking about that band. Fuck Jethro Tull. Oh no! <laughs> Fuck Jethro. Jethro. Our Tull. opinions. Jethro. Jethro. I'm gonna start a cover, an ironic cover band called Jethro Tull, and I'm gonna play all the songs even worse than they played them. <laughs> Uh, Mike, do you remember when Jeff the Brotherhood of that band we liked they, their uh, uh, bass drum said Jeff Rotel? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean Jeff Rotel. That's another time in podcast. But either way, yeah, um, that's a solo episode, Mike. <laughs> we we, yeah, we already did the Prague episode. I can't say, see. That's where Jeff and I differ because I I am a Jethro Tull fan. I wouldn't call consider myself like a big Jethro Tull fan, but there's some tracks that I enjoy. Um, yeah, they call it. What do you call yourselves? Tullies. Tull- is that what it is? <laughs> no, I just made that up. Flute fuckers. That's what they call <laughs> flute fuckers. Um, so yeah. So anyway, to wrap it, yeah. and just and just for all, <laughs> if flute if fuckers. it was the mix, if it was the and Jason for all mix, and just for Jason, whatever the mixes are on YouTube. Where they took the isolated guitar hero. Somehow, guitar hero has the master tapes that actually have the bass and not the actual fucking album. But those versions, nasty. 
I mean, if the bass was present and the high end of that distortion was taken down a little bit, this would be my number one. But it's my number two. Right on, right on. Luke, what's number two? My number two pick is the Black Album. Um, I... I I think it's the easiest it was for me it was the easiest one to listen to. Yeah. Um I liked the pop metal aspect of it. Um I really wish like they would have like further mined it. Like I feel like Load and Reload were just like kind of hard rock albums where I felt like this one was honestly what I think the Black album is is um, the more I thought about it as I listened to it is I thought it was a really good and more poppy ripoff of the, uh, Danzig's first album, which came out in 88, and this is 91. Um, Danzig slowed down the metal genre. It was still creepy and evil, had guitar solos, was more bluesier, um, more you know, dense production. You know what I mean? You could hear all the guitars on it on the Danzig album. Um, and so I feel like even the artwork on it, it's like the, the, the straight black Danzig, the Metallica's black, it's mm-hmm. Metallica. Um, for me, I felt like this was like, they, they saw the writing on the wall, even with like the slowing down of like the grunge bands and everybody digging Black Sabbath again from Nirvana to Black Flag. And, um, I think they really just slowed everything down. Um, and they put pop hooks over the top of it. Um, and I, I, I really like the pop hooks over it. Um, I think they're like, for me, I like singing like Enter Sandman and I like that you could sing along to them. So if they weren't going to be the thrash band anymore, I wish they would have just like leaned harder for the rest of their career into um, melody. Cause I feel like they really had a good shot at like making more melodic albums with great hooky choruses for, you know, like nineties Aerosmith style, but for metal. Yeah. So, um, but I really, that's, I really enjoy this album because it is a switch up and they did it really well. Um, I think it holds up on radio still. Um, like a lot of people that like metal music still listen to it. It's great for, um, you know, people to get into the genre. So that's why I really like it. And I feel like it's the most accessible. And for me, not really liking Metallica, that's why I think it's number two for me because it's the accessible. Yeah, I mean, you listen to it. I mean, even obviously we have Understandment, Sad But True, The Unforgiven, but even like Wherever I May Roam, you know, giving you that sort of kind of that exotic-y sort of Egyptian-y style flavor, you know, in the in the opening and, and the riff itself. I think the back half also plays real well, like, you know, songs. Don't forget the QAnon Shamans theme song. Don't mm-hmm. try not me. Oh, is it really? Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, don't tread on me. It's, uh, yeah. But also, the thing that I say, I think the CD, the um, the thing I think is like the worst about this album or CD is um, the length of it for me is like complete CD length where they could put more, so they did, and a lot of it isn't that great. Like that, the there's a little bit of filler yeah. on there, um, or like the songs are longer where they like didn't really need to be. So I feel like the vinyl format was really a good editing tool for bands where the CD era opened it up more and was like able to kind of put more fluff on there. So if that's my only complaint is that this album is really long yeah. and yeah. maybe a little bit. Of yeah. More I mean, fluff, but this, that's week, the- this week was like the first time in 10 years I'd ever even attempted to listen to the, the last five tracks. Mm-hmm, I just never, right? I always just end it after nothing else matters. Yeah, no, for real. And I, like, for me, it was like the, I mean, it's my number two, cause it's so accessible, but like, 
where the production versus the other ones, the song, but it's just you're right, very fluffy on the back back half. Of the yeah, I mean down. on this on this album, it's you see a lot of predominantly like Headfield Ulrich songs. Uh, there, there's only one song that actually I think includes Jason Newstead as being accredited uh, for a contribution to a song. That's my friend of misery. See, with me, I I kind of if I'm gonna listen to it, I kind of prefer the back half of the album. I prefer the last couple of tracks simply because I just find that like the first ones are just so played out to me that it's kind of like if I want to get that black album flavor but not have to listen to songs that I've already heard a million times, I can kind of get that little hit of it without you know listening to the Unforgiven for the million fucking time. I mean, not for nothing. When I listen back to this album, I listened to the Unforgiven and it was kind of like. It was kind of like an old friend, you know what I mean? Like, it definitely had that vibe to it. I did enjoy listening to this album, for sure. But, um, but yeah, I'll agree. I mean, this is the first album. This is a 12-track album. All the predecessors, I think Max had eight tracks on it. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, I mean, definitely their most commercially successful album, for sure. Like, you can't really argue against that. Um, but I'd say a strong number two. It's hard, man. It's hard with this album for me, because... You're right. It is a strong number two. Ah, uh, <laughs> for for me, I I just wish like when they made like a, a giant step, they would have backed themselves up more. Like I feel like they would lose confidence with like the the gains they would make. Yeah. you know what I mean. Like where they would take a step forward, and it almost seems like they would get unsure, and then that obviously leads to like that documentary we get in the early two thousands. Where they're like, we don't even know what we're yeah. doing anymore. Yeah, like, they, I, just, they I just, wish they would, uh, would have went like full Def Leppard and wrote like Photograph, and you know what I mean, like and just wrote better me chords. Too. <laughs> me too. You know what I mean? Because like, if if you're gonna slow up and get more poppy, like lean into it harder. Because it wasn't like necessarily a bad look for them. It was yeah, just a I different think this sound. would kind of cause the trajectory that would kind of after this album. I think that's why we're really only covering up to this fifth album. Because really, if you think about it, man, you get load, reload, and then everything after that. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of corny. It's whatever. And then you know, you have the two latest albums, Death Magnetic and Hardwired to Self Destruct, where they were really trying to kind of reconnect with their roots. But again, I think that there was already a bad taste in every Metallica fan's mouth at that point, and they had a sort of expectation. And then you're kind of like, yeah, you're trying to reconnect with your roots, but it's just not there anymore. They're not the same people that they were when they wrote the better albums. So it, I think, you know, those albums are definitely hard for me to listen to. But, um, but yeah, I mean, again, the Black Album, it is what it is, man. It's, it's one of the greatest heavy metal albums of all time. So you can't really, you know, you can't really yeah. argue. I, cut your hair, cut your hair, you hippies. I, I judge music like its merit based on how truthful it t- it seems. And okay, live your truth, Metallica, but like, and I like progression, but I just, like we said, they became a hard rock band and they went away from being a metal band. And I don't enjoy the metal bands like, let's say Slayer, where every Slayer album kind of yeah. sounds the fucking same. And I'm just like, whatever, I don't care. But the Metallica did the Black Album, and then that kicked off this like ten to fifteen years of them sounding like every other band, and like trying to take up the spa- same space that like Soundgarden was right. already taking up. Right. And so it's like, and you know, doing a ton of cover songs and stuff, and it's like, yo, come on, man, stay true to your roots and progress from there don't just like yeah i think the thing is is that they they weren't really hungry anymore you know i mean the black album came out launched them into superstardom that's where they become like the multi-millionaires that we know them as they are today 
And they kind of just rode that wave, man. You know, they just kind of kept writing songs that they were like, all right, well, these are radio friendly. Fuck it. We'll just make money now and just kind of milk the cash cow, if you will, you know, and kind of ride on the legacy that they had already established for themselves in that way. And, you know, you have these concerts that are the big four as Anthrax, Metallica, Megadeth and Slayer, you know, and, you know, I mean, it is it is what it is. But um, but yeah, it's, you know, what's up? And I I agree with the like they I think they became too too big that it hurt the music because the previous albums the first four albums it's like they would record for let's say two to six months put out the album they would tour it for a year take four to six months off then record the next thing for four or six months and then this album came out and they toured it for, I think they toured for two bro and they're a half still years. touring the hardwired to self destruct album now and that album came out like two three years right, but ago. that and that's why they became a band i think that just got bored by their own sound because they were just playing the same same set night after yeah. night after night that i think when it was time to get those creative juices pumping again they were they just like sure. oh, yeah i think <laughs> they all just i think like, it's oh, like it's the same way right like you, you you can only wring out so much water from a sponge and i think they were just so wrung out by the time the black album came out that it's like there's just nothing left man it's not water, Mike. It's wow. water. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Anyway, all right. Well, Luke's number two is the Black Album. Moving on to our number one picks. For me, it is Kill 'Em All. Uh, this album for me was really kind of like the mind blower. Like Jeff kind of said earlier, we kind of talked this album out a little bit earlier in the podcast. But I, I still remember. It's crazy. When I was like, you know, preparing for this podcast, I downloaded the albums on Spotify you know, and I and I laid down while I was going to go to bed and I like put in the earbuds as I lay down to sleep. Uh, <laughs> I pray. So listening to that album, it literally just brought me back to, you know, the 12 year old me having my Sony Walkman and my big Sony over the ear headphones and like laying in my bed as a 12 year old when I, you know, living with my parents and. And hearing Pulling Teeth for the first time and it just blowing my mind. Like, holy shit, like a bass player can do this? You know what I mean? And just the whole album front to back for me, like Luke, you were saying, you know, it's just kind of this, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's thrash metal, metal rather in its infancy, but it's also still fun and it makes you want to hop on a skateboard. And, you know, it's, it's that kind of a vibe, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's like, it's, it's early sort of like um how can I... it's a very beavis <laughs> yeah sure i mean but that's but it's just it for me it's it's just so much it's such a fun album you know and that's why i love it yeah. it's lively it's it never it doesn't stop it just keeps going and going and going and every song and you're getting you know you're getting those great sort of like early like pick slides you know what i mean you're getting all that stuff it's so fast and it's so and that's the thing is like you know when you when you see the early interviews with the guys you know or like james headfield more specifically he says it he's like we were too metal for the punk venues and we were too punk for the metal venues and thus thrash metal was born which was this kind of like marriage of the two um where it's just this super fast hard-hitting music um and uh yeah just for me it just it it's Again, if this was what I think their greatest albums of all time are, it would be a different list, list for me. But it's my personal favorites. And for me, this, you know, I had the Kill 'Em All hoodie. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, 
just hardcore, like early Metallica first three albums and get the fuck out of here if you have a different opinion. You know what I mean? Like, so. Well, so because I'm going to join you on this number one pick here. I, I agree that it is uh, of that caliber. I also think it's like, don't you? I feel like it um, It's it could have, if they only released this one album, if Metallica only released Kill 'em All. I think they still would have been as influential. And that's the other yeah. crazy thing about it too. Like, um, uh, I really liked, like for me, like my number one and number two picks couldn't be more further apart. But for me, it's either like, like I feel like they did it really, really well in the first album. And then like, I'm cool with that. That was a thrash sound. And then like I switch up was like, well, um, you know what I mean? Like the op- polar opposite also yeah. works for me, but um, they were just like, so like, um, it's the greatness of I think like uh, Bad Brains, Speed, and then like Iron Maiden's Gallop, and then if you just like mush yeah. those together, that's you know what I mean. And also too, like of the time, like was it eighty three? So like most of the punkers were pretty much already like avoiding and growing out of hardcore anyway. And like I feel like this style of music was taken up by more aggressive people who ended up making you know more aggressive metal and more extreme versions of it but um i that's why i just really like this uh style it's got all like the monster misfitsy stuff i like it's got like the iron maideny metal vibe and um awesome solos that i like can't understand or even know how fast they're going um it all just sounds like a blur and by the time it's over you're like did that just happen like you know what i mean it's the album's like whoa and almost all the songs kind of sound the same too but they don't um, I also love uh, Seek and Destroy at the end. Um, I feel like it's a great, like, Stooges throwback to, yeah. um, you know what I mean? But that that was just my vibe. I, I love the um, that kind of the whole work on it, how it was still kind of that punk. Yeah, and for me, even the too. song like The Four Horsemen, not only is it a cool concept as a song, but also kind of that fun break in the middle where they kind of, it's still distorted guitars, but they kind of slow the track down. They kind of change the vibe of it to give you that guitar solo. You know, and then it kicks back into... It kicks back into the the main sort of theme of the song, um, yeah. For like I said, man, for me, it's just it's one of those albums that it's just it's it it has so such a sentimentality for me. Bless you. Oh oh, bless you. Thank oh, you. bless you. Oh my gosh, bless you. Technical difficulties. Um, so yeah, kill them all. And and I just I love the the album cover too. It's just it's just like the blooded hammer. You know what I mean? And like it's just it's cool. Like. You know, and and also to speak to Cliff Burton again, I know we kind of talked him to death, but just bass choice at this point for this album, too. Oh, oops. Sorry. Too soon. I love Cliff Burton, you know, but anyway, um, but also the choice of a Rickenbacker. What a what a what a sort of tip of the hat to Lemmy, you know, in that kind of a vibe, because really, you know what I mean? Like the Rick was just such an interesting choice for him, especially if we're talking about uh, like, you know, you look at a Steve Harris from Iron Maiden, who was a P bass player. You know, and I, I can't remember what's his name from Judas Priest. I can't remember what he played, but I want to say it was probably like a Gibson Explorer or Thunderbird style bass or something like that. What what, what did he play? Friendly, oh, he was a P bass as well? P, I think. Yeah, I had a poster on my wall as a kid. That's the only reason I know that. Yeah. So if we're getting nerdy <laughs> about Cliff Burton for a second, the Rickenbacker bass, really cool about that. He uh, So that's a bass that normally has two pickups and the uh neck pickup he replaced with a fat humbucker pickup from the gibson ebo eb0 so it had this really fat woolly um 
like low end sound. Then he had the jazz bass, which was a stacked, like hot rotted jazz bass pickup on the on the bridge. And he also put in a third pickup right underneath the bridge where there normally was a mute that you could pull up or down on the Rickenbacker. He put in a strat single coil. So a guitar key, a guitar pickup he put there. And he wired the bass so that all three would be on. So it would have this really wooly low end from the EB0 pickup. It would have this cutting jazz bass sound in the middle. And then it had this guitar like fizziness. That was just his, it was his secret weapon, he said. And also for the nerds out there, real nerds, you think metal music and you think like super low and crazy and thick sound. Metallica, these first five albums were almost exclusively in standard E-tuning. It wasn't dropped down. And also Cliff Burton, he played some of the lightest string gauges of any basses that I was able to find up their, find their string gauge. A normal, ba- like a standard bass string is a set that goes from 0.045 to 0.105. Uh, inches his he rocked 0.035s to 0.09s so it's like a set that is almost it's like nobody plays that light of string but he played that kind of string so that he could really have full control and he could do these like bends at the end of phrases so just like a fun fact that i found researching i was just like holy shit talk about like not what people think when they think of metal bassists yeah and this album specifically too we still have like a very clean sound for cliff burton which would end up changing as we get ride the lightning and master of puppets where things would get a little bit more distorted his sound would become more refined he would end up switching bases as well i can't remember the name of the base that he ends up switching to it's kind of like a smaller sort of manufacturer it's not like a it's not like a a, a, a brand that everybody knows but um but yeah, yeah for early... master of puppets he just yeah. brands yeah, so, um, but yeah, man, and the Rick, too, so striking as, like, a young, you know, 12-year-old kid who just picked up a bass to to, to see him, you know, holding a, a Rickenbacker of all basses, which was kind of strange to me, because you think metal, you think, you know, like, you think more metal-style basses and stuff, you know, and then to see him playing a Rick, it's like, you know, it's as strange as seeing Kirk Hammett play a Les Paul, you know what I mean? You're like, no, you play an ESP, you don't play a, you don't play a Les Paul, you know, but it's it's that kind of a thing, you know? So, yeah, I'm well. I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe disagree with you a little bit. I feel like uh, Roger Glover, Deep Purple, Rick and Barker. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Squire from uh, Yes. Yes. Yep, Squire from Yes, and then you got Lemmy playing a Rick the whole time. I think the Rick was yeah. the style in that stuff because that first stuff. the Kill 'Em All is basically a cleaned up, um, you know, Motorhead album. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, absolutely. yeah. But I'm yep. just saying, as as a young person, it was. At the t- I guess at the I guess for yeah, our like time if, place, you know uh, what I mean. It was the Ibanez base. It was the time. you know it was different. Things had changed, yeah. but yeah, no, I, I'll agree with you though. I I guess I have had to con- take that into consideration. In other words, of the time and place of that, it was either like a P base or it was a uh, or it was a Rick. Well, we we grew up with everybody playing active. Core, I was just gonna say style. <laughs> Core. Porn style basses from metal. So, like, when we're thinking of like a metal bass player, we're thinking of like that dude Yo, from people Alien used to be Ant like, Farm and the, the bass solo. The and just be like, <laughs> <laughs> just like yeah. those aren't notes. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, my number one to round it off, kill them all. <laughs> Jeffrey, yeah, tell so us about your number one. My number one um, is. It's Master of Puppets, man. It's the middle of these five from 1986, the last album that Cliff Burton played on before he 
died in that bus accident uh, six-ish months later. And it's just the culmination of everything they did on the first two albums, but just the sound production is a lot better. The songwriting, I think, is better. Even though the first two albums, pretty stacked with great, great songs and only, like, for me personally, like one or two skippable tracks on the first two albums. Um, But this album, Master Puppets, maybe my least favorite song on this album is Welcome Home Sanitarium. And even that song, I think, is the best of all of their like acoustic-based kind of like ballad songs. Um, so right. we've said it all before, but Master of Puppets, like maybe the best Metallica moment, or I should say, maybe my favorite Metallica moment in their entire discography is I don't know, it's like thirty seconds into the first track, Battery, and it's after the the acoustic guitars keep adding more and more harmonies, and then it's just like thunderous, like. Dun, 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 dun. It's like the it's like the sound of fucking fifty Greek gods playing from Mount Olympus. <laughs> it's like crazy. Um, so I this you know like if if I have to save one in a house fire, a house fire that would have been started by me purposely burning copies of Saint Anger, I would save I would save Master of Puppets. Um, <laughs> it's just like it's. Yeah, it's just, for me personally, it's them at the top of their game. And if anybody said, well, here's the thing. We grew up with Metallica. We grew up at the tail end when when Mike and me and Luke, in a way, were kids when they were just kind of like flaming out their very big popularity and respect mainstream. And then we lived through like a 10-year them wandering the desert and now like a 10-year period of them playing the hits kind of period. Metallica, at the end of the day, they are one of the 20 biggest bands of all time, if not one of the 10 biggest bands of all time in just like commercial success and critical acclaim. And like what 10 year old, 15 year old kids wear t-shirts of today. Metallica is probably one of the five best selling t-shirt bands out there. So like kids are going to talk about Metallica forever, especially angry white boys are going to be listening to Metallica music for the next hundred years. And if, you know, if I have a kid or if I have a grandkid or if I see some angry young teenager and they're breaking bottles and lighting cats on fire, I'd be like, hey, how do you get out some of that aggression? Listen to Metallica, start with Master of Puppets. Headbang in your room. Don't right break on, car man. windows. <laughs> You're my lifestyle. <laughs> my yeah, I mean, this was their first album to go platinum. And then I think in 2003, it was certified six times platinum. So you can't really argue with that. You know, I mean, the commercial success, I think the stars just aligned for this band uh, with with this album, man. You know, it's got a it's got a accessible running time. It's 54 minutes long. It's not a crazy long album. It's it's all it's all substance. No, uh, you know, like it's all killer, no filler. All yeah, killer, I think no so filler. entirely. Even even the low like like Jeff, you said, like even like their low points are still decent points. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not really you know, there's, there's not really a dud on the album, at least, you know, at least for me, but, um, but yeah, yeah. it's just, it's, it's, yeah. And especially when you talk about thrash music, so just fast metal music made in America, basically in the 1980s, I think this is the best thrash metal album in the genre. It's a, it's a, it was a short lived yeah, no. genre and there's really only like, you can, most people can only name three or four to six bands that made up that genre, but I think it's the best and most successful and the, like the calling card of that genre. I would play this album. 
Yeah, man. No, uh, like personal favorites is is what like mine was more based off of. But I agree with you wholeheartedly. If someone was like, "What is Metallica?" It's Master of Puppets. You hand them. You know what I mean? It's like this is it. Yeah, yeah. It's the Listening one this past did. week, it was yeah. the one I wanted to. Li- it's the one I gave the least amount of replays because I've listened to it the most. But it's the one I wanted to listen to more than any other. Yeah, no, I really, uh, agree with those those yeah. sentiments on the, this record. And to like the thrash genre too, like we all know Zeppelin made like the four some four of the greatest five of the greatest rock albums in a row. And did Metallica not do that in the progression of yeah. guitar music in the late eighties by releasing these records, pushing um guitar music in a further way it had not been before, and they're all five solidly great. Yeah, in, eight, in an eight year so, period, man. You know, they did their thing. Yes. So that's the, I like, you know, yeah, and they definitely, you know, like you referenced like Led Zeppelin in that way too. Like, I mean, similarly with like a Black Sabbath, you know, they kind of, they kind of have the same narrative that all of like the great bands have, which is kind of like, yeah, here they have like their first four or five albums are considered to be like some of the greatest albums of all time. And then things kind of fall on their face a little bit. Things kind of flub up and kind of get not so great. I mean, Life comes at you fast, man. You're 60 years old, standing on stage, doing a cover of a fucking ah song, all right? Fuck Metallica <laughs> in 2021. <laughs> yeah, ah! but um, but yeah, so there you have it. I mean, Luke, we, we kind of bypassed Jeff in that one just because you and I, I think, shared the same number one, but your, your number one being Kill em yeah. All as well. Uh, Mike, um, you want to do your, your yep, yeah. one to five rank? We'll do a little round Yeah. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my number one, Kill Em All. My number two, Master of Puppets. My number three, Ride the Lightning. My number four, Injustice for All. And my number five, The Black Album. My number one, Master of Puppets. My number two, Injustice for All. Number three, Ride the Lightning. Number four, Kill Em All. Number five, self-titled Metallica, The Black Album. Right on, guys. I was Kill Em All, number one. Number two, Black Album, number three, was Master of Puppets for me. Number four, Ride the Lightning. And number five was... Injustice and I hope we did all. Metallica justice in this podcast as best as we could. I just got one last thing to say. Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Yeah! Also, watch Some Kind of Monster. If you haven't watched it already, it's one of the greatest musical documentaries of all time. Second to maybe Anvil, the story of Anvil. Um... <laughs> Um, and Final Tap, those three belong in the same category, even though one of them is clearly a mockumentary. But really, isn't aren't Wait, they the Metallica one isn't a mockumentary? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! Just just let Kirk, Kirk play a guitar solo, please. Somebody. Oh, can yeah, I can I just say one thing guys. I found out, which is very funny to me? Kirk Kirk Hammett. He used to play, he used to walk around the stage so much, they had eight waz set up for him to use at various points on the stage. <laughs> yeah, to speak to Kirk. Killed me. To sp- which which waz on? Where's that humming coming from? <laughs> to speak to Kirk Hammett, I never thought I... I never thought you could get worse as a guitar player as time went on. I always thought you could get better, but clearly Kirk Hammett is... Uh, proven me wrong time and time again uh he's kind of a slop jalop <laughs> when it comes to his guitar playing now i feel like uh, he really hung on to the wah and uh you know i mean look eight eight was 
you know, I mean, is that even really enough? You know, let's be real here. I mean, oh. eight, eight is amateur hour. For oh, academic. Come on, man. Especially his signature crybaby where it's got the skeleton foot and, print yeah. and like neon green on the top of it. Um, oh, like, I, I also love how Metallica now when they play live, it's like more of like a tempo dude, is they, optional. They're <laughs> embarrassing. They like they there's multiple songs a set that they restart because they started badly. They just yep. fucking suck. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you ever yes, see that Prince cover? <laughs> Dude, oh my God. Oh, God. We were good yeah. to everybody. We were good the whole episode. We really tried. We, I, I said these are on merit with Zeppelin records. So as much as I'm talking, dude, crap, I'm glad we didn't even mention Kirk Hammett until well. now because I would have spent the whole time just laughing about about how he can't. He looks at Jim <laughs> Redfield confused, like, "Wait, how do you play that very simple riff?" <laughs> like, well, on, that man. that to me, one of the highlights of some kind of monster is when James Hedfield is like basically face palming himself <laughs> the entire time because he's like here's this super simple riff it's like open three five style riff <laughs> and you're and and Lars just cannot get a beat going even though it could clearly just be done as like a four on the floor and Kirk Hammett's just sitting there looking all like doughy eyed like oh okay yeah and he's like fumbling over yeah. himself you know and then I think to myself as I've mentioned on this podcast before this asshole owns Peter Green's Les Paul Kirk Hammett like, Kirk Hammett just thinks if I if I spent two million more dollars on this guitar would I play it better well it just goes to show you that if, <laughs> even if you can afford Thin Lizzy's uh stage light up logo still doesn't mean that you can uh you can effectively hey, play man. the one song they had a so. they had a great decade though and we are here to celebrate that decade here, here, yeah, a hundred percent. Like we said, give credit where credit's due. They're one of the greatest metal bands, arguably of all time. They're they're in the conversation with Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and Slayer and all these other great bands and stuff. So, of course, hats off, hats off to Metallica, even if they've become kind of like a meme of themselves. And uh... oh, <laughs> no, the bell has the bell, the bell done told in nineteen ninety three for this band. Let me tell you, let me tell you. But, you know, what are you going to do? Now we just have to deal with their present-day battery, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Say anger. Take my life away, please. Uh, I, I pray every time <laughs> I, I, pray I, I, I do the sign of the cross and I say, our patron saint, Saint Anger. Sign please. of the upside-down cross. <laughs> <laughs> saint Anger. Uh, yeah i mean it's it's the the vocals have just kind of become kind of strange and stuff and you know whatever i mean you know what good for them for getting rob trujillo in the way that at least rob trujillo is probably the only one who shows shows them all up on wanting to be there um there's a great moment in some kind of monster where Rob Trujillo is playing like flamenco style guitar and you can just see Kirk Hammett just kind of like how am I the million like how <laughs> like how is it that I'm the one that gets the accolades and our bass player plays better guitar oh, than man. I do you know so I mean you know it is what it is and you know exit, exit <laughs> light, <enter> night. <laughs> uh real quick to finish things off um next week ish uh we last night we did an episode a collaborative episode with our friends danny and george on the feel feelings podcast that will be released i think on the 14th or the 15th they said with an exciting announcement well we are sworn to secrecy right now though we can't really talk about it but 
it's going to be an exciting announcement to look forward to. Uh, Jeff, do you what? What's going on with uh, what do you love about music? Um, I might have an episode this week. I might not. I I just had like I just didn't want to do it last week, so, so I just didn't do it. Well, listen, when you have Lars Ulrich pounding your fucking brain in all know, week, it, you're just kind of like I'm. Uh, you know, I'll take silence. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'll tell you what I don't love about music. It's the production quality on Injustice for All. So keep an eye out. There might be a new What Do You Love About Music episode on Wednesday. And if there isn't, there's eight great episodes to check out on Spotify, Spotify exclusive. So check out my podcast, What Do You Love About Music? Yes. Uh, Also, what uh, works for you has been on week three of a hiatus for now. Similarly, it's just finding the time to do it. You know, I mean, getting the garage is our is our passion project. So that gets the, the majority of the attention. Also, you know. As we've stated before on the podcast, Luke and I work for uh, the Evil Empire, so it's difficult for us to kind of get some free time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you know, it's 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 tough to sometimes the, ban- the bandito himself. <laughs> yeah, so it's <laughs> it's tough sometimes to coordinate other podcasts, <laughs> but this is the one that obviously you know we always make it a point to bring you guys. So um, so yeah, so. There you have it, Metallica, Fave Fives in a nutshell. We're going to fade to black. We're going to fade to black. We'll see over you here. next week. I'll get in the garage. Take care, everybody. Have a good week. Bye bye. This has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information, and links to other shows please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com slash podcasts.